start actually with the Panthers at Texans. Texans were eight-point dogs at home and couldn't cover the number. I lost all of my bets on Davis Mills. The PFF props still had, had, had value on Davis Mills, but he could not deliver. Neck and all, he could not deliver. I guess we haven't discussed. I was the say show. that's the biggest story was his neck. Yeah. The day. So can I tell the story of how I found that picture? Yeah. So ahead. I'm doing this weekly graphics meeting where we go over templates that we want to push into our rotation on social media. And one of the first templates the graphics team shows me, not not sarcastically, was that picture of Davis Mills. And I'm like, guys, whatever this graphic template is this a photoshop picture of davis mills like no his neck is crazy right and i literally was like i have to send this to the people people need to see this and i checked and it was on usa today images that's the the image site we subscribe to and i was like you know what gotta send this out but davis mills neck was probably the biggest storyline of that one carolina wins handedly 24 to 9. can we start with your takeaway from the houston texans start david cully's start and the current state of this roster the current state of this team uh, I mean, this was kind of more what we expected when we said went into this year being like the Texans are the worst roster on paper in the NFL, where it's just neither side of the ball had anything to be encouraged about. And and the thing I was kind of upset with was they really just put the training wheels on Davis Mills. Like they didn't they didn't throw him out there and let him sink or swim. That whole first half was basically, I mean, I don't care if it was, you know, Tom Brady out there, you weren't gonna score a ton of points with how limited they were in the concepts they were running and the basically run heaviness of that offense. So, yeah, it wasn't great. David Colley punting again on an obvious go for it, fourth and three from the 39. I think it was, again, not great. Like the, the some of the decisions he's been making there in those situations uh, up for review. But Carolina, man, they're, they're just like living right right now. And the thing is, like Sam Darnold looks good. Does he look appreciably better than what like Teddy Bridgewater looked like last year? I don't think so. It really has just been this defense shutting the team down and basically the competition level right now. I haven't faced anyone who's got to sniff the playoffs. You know, right now Carolina ranks first in oh, excuse EP. me, actually they have, sorry. This, they obviously face the Saints, but they went town James Winston. But this past week, obviously not gonna sniff the playoffs. Something interesting about the Saints, too. You know, everyone talked about how good that offensive line was. Ryan Ramchek so far this year is the second highest pressure rate allowed on true pass sets. He's been getting dogged by Brian Burns and company included. Carolina ranks first in EPA per play allowed. They also rank first in pressure percentage. How sustainable is this defense? And then even more so, do you see the Sam Darnold hype train slowing? Like, do you think he's going to play? You know, do you think his grade is as high as it's going to get, or do you think he starts to fall off? I, I don't know. I, shit, I mean, like, your guess is as good as mine with Sam Darnold Fair. at this point in his career <laughs> with what we've seen from him. Uh, I will say, if you're a Panthers fan, though, it is at least encouraging. You gave up a lot for the guy, and this is at least a much appreciably better quarterback than we saw at any point in New York. Is it a quarterback that can all of a sudden go out and win you a Super Bowl? That's still TBD, but he looks a lot, lot better. I mean, I was on radio hits last week, you know, right after that Thursday night game. People asked me, is Sam Darnold the quarterback of the future in Carolina? I'm just not ready to say that yet. His He has an 80.1 PFF grade through three weeks. It's by far the best start to an NFL season he's ever had. But I think everyone could attest to that in the offseason, Sam Darnold's going to have the best year of his career in Carolina. Why? Because he's getting away from that awful situation in New York and now working with Joe Brady. I think Brady is putting him in a position to succeed. That 80.1 PFF passing grade ranks 11th in the NFL. It's encouraging. I'm not ready to push all my chips in, both on the offense or the defense. The defense is playing well, but they've played against cupcake competition outside Mm -hmm. of kind of a, you know, 
up and down Jameis Winston-led New Orleans Saints offense. So I do think that the jury is still out on Carolina. I'm not ready to punch their ticket as contenders for a Super Bowl. I still They're obviously playoff competi- you know, contenders this year, but I don't think I'm ready to punch their ticket for a Super Bowl quite yet. All right, moving to Ravens at Lions. What a game. Ravens win this game 19-17 off a NFL record-setting 66-yard bomb from Justin Tucker that bounces off the crossbar and in. I thought he missed it. And then, because you saw yeah. in the background, Detroit Lions fans oh. were just going up yeah. in arms. And that's usually how you can tell in those long kicks where you can't really read it. And then the second bounce in, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Justin Tucker, big shout-out to him. I also thought you know, Lamar Jackson looked really good in this game. Multiple deep shots. That fourth and 19, he was able to push it downfield, convert that. You know, everyone's going to talk about the Justin Tucker kick. But getting that conversion on fourth and 19, staying in the pocket and firing it downfield accurately, I mean, that is, again, Lamar Jackson looking fantastic. He had six big-time throws in this game, but also two of those dropped by Marquise Brown. Yeah, well, the bigger thing was the play before the fourth and 19. The third and, I think it was third and 16, because he ended up actually running out of bounds, taking a loss. But he was dead to rights. Julian Aquard toasted Kevin Zeidler and should have been a sack, but snuck out of that to even get out of bounds. If that's a sack there, that game is over at that point. Um, I think the Lions now have the two most improbable endings of the last decade of any game, or two most improbable losses. <laughs> they, 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 in this one, the Ravens were at their own 16, down by two with 26 seconds left. Their own 16 lost the game with no timeouts in that one. Then obviously you go back to 2015 and the Packers won. Where the Packers, I forgot this, they were on their own 21 with six seconds left in the game, and the Packers won that game against the Lions. Those have to be the. T- I'm trying to think of other more improbable ones, not coming up with a lot. A 66 yarder and a hail mary in that for- in that Ford Field. They're just. It's not a being a Lions fan. I know they're used to it at this point, but man, it has to be fucking brutal. It's absolutely brutal. I thought, I mean, honestly, if you had to ask if the Baltimore Ravens were going to drive down and win that game, I did not think they were. And I think obviously it was two insane plays that ultimately won them that game with the the, the fourth and nineteen conversion, and then obviously the record setting sixty six yard kick. But how how did Detroit keep this close? It, I mean, they were they were you know Baltimore was favored by eight in this game. Baltimore could not you know, get away from them, and Jared Goff honestly did not play all that horrendously for Detroit. Yeah. Um, it, it really, like, the Ravens honestly should have, like, won more handily. Like you said, Marquise Brown, three drops. A couple of those would have been for scores. Yeah. Um, it, it was not... They, they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot to a degree, because Lamar was playing... I thought he was playing pretty well the whole game, but just kind of comedy errors there yeah i'd argue that you know baltimore had multiple opportunities i think specifically those two marquise brown drops to kind of put this game away you know and i think they just kept hung in there hung in there hung in there until obviously they had to put on the superhero cape and win this one 1917 falcons at giants giants were favored by three this was a game i didn't want to touch and honestly it's the game progressed i didn't want to watch it if you're watching red zone i think a game had maybe 10 seconds of total airtime because it was a legitimate disaster here's my favorite stat so you have in here, you know, Matt Ryan's a dot, and it's been low. I get that. They have zero completions of twenty plus yards. They've only attempted three. They have only attempted three deep shots this year. It's the lowest in the NFL, and they have zero completions. So the only team without a deep completion so far this season. This offense is not just hard to watch. 
it's anemic. They can't create anything downfield. Jalen Mayfield's the lowest graded guard in the NFL. They can't protect Matt Ryan. It's a conservative offense because they can't protect and no one's creating separation down the football field. This is a disaster, even though they win this game 17-14 over a bad Giants team. Yeah, so Matt Ryan went into this week with the lowest average depth target value in the NFL and it got lower, lower. after this game. <laughs> and and as some of it I said, like I'm concerned about Matt Ryan. Is it him being washed up when we said, uh, actually I might say this on the Collinsworth pod, not this one, but he, he had the slowest throw of anyone yet like his the uh, andre weingartner on twitter who works for madden uh was tweeting out he has ball tracking data that has the miles per hour of the throws and the he had the slowest fastest throw of any quarterback in the nfl if that makes sense how to describe that his arm is a little bit of an issue and you saw him turn down some open deep routes he had like a corner route against cover two that was there second play of the game second drop back and he turns it down and goes underneath and i now, a, a lot of that's still trust. Like, he lost his guy that he trusted to throw those routes to every single time in Julio Jones. But Ryan's got to let it rip if you're it, to, you can't be this conservative. conservative and continually win games in the NFL. Obviously, they win this one because we'll talk about the other side of the ball here. But that's just that is very worrisome if you're a Falcons fan right now. And, you have this kind of window with Matt Ryan that you held on to him because maybe you can run back another Super Bowl. That, that one, I mean, they purposefully held on to it. Yeah, making exactly. the extension and committing to Matt Ryan, and they moved on from Julio Jones. I get that, but like they were planning. All signs point to them having expectations of being playoff competitive this year. And that I, even with this win, I do not see it happening. And I think we spend so much time on Matt Ryan, lowest average depth of target in the NFL. This offense under Arthur Smith has not looked good. But look at the trenches. No team in the NFL has a lower pressure rate on defense than the Atlanta Falcons. They rank outside the top 15, 16 in pressure rate allowed. That offensive line giving up a ton, even with not a ton of deep shots. Like That shows how quickly this pressure is getting to Matt Ryan. There was just not a lot of highlights on either side of the ball for Atlanta. And I don't think a lot of people expected this, you know, disastrous of a look for Atlanta. Obviously, they could be 0-3. They're not. But I don't think anyone saw this coming. Did you? I, I did not see this coming. No. No, I, I thought the offense, you just assume when you got Matt Ryan, the offense got to be fine. You yeah. Know? And it has not been. Let's talk Giants. Yeah. The Giants is the more are the more worrisome side here, though, because Jason Garrett's offense is as un- appealing as ever and the scary thing is that Saquon after he's always been known for he's not a one cut type of runner you know he is a home run hitter but I th I feel like it's gotten even worse after the ACL injury like he's been even more afraid to really just put his foot in the ground lower shoulder and run through like a guy like Deion Jones who he is bigger than like in this game the Falcons linebackers Saquon Barkley should have just been rolling forward for three or four yards anytime he meets one of them in the hole. And instead of that, like he's trying to juke these guys in space consistently. He's only broken five tackles on 39 rushing attempts this season. You just see that, and it was really bad a couple of weeks ago on it was a Thursday night game. He just really cannot. It, it, it's 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 worrisome. I'll just say that if you're a Giants fan, what sort of he looks like it's it's not Adrian Peterson coming back from an ACL he looks like it's legitimately affected him at least his running style you know what's not worrisome and honestly I don't even think Giants fans want to hear this Daniel Jones ranks fourth in the NFL in PFF passing grade he has not been the reason they're losing games the offensive line has underwhelmed and defensively they've struggled to hold up on the back end but he ranks 
fourth in PFF passing grade so far this year. Four big-time throws, three turnover-worthy plays. And in this game again, didn't do anything to lose them this game outright. I think yeah. you, if you had to point fingers at what's driving, I guess, you know, an underwhelming start, an 0-3 start for the Giants, I would argue... More of it is the offensive line. Pass catchers not creating separation. Kenny Galladay struggling as the leading receiver. And also defensively, that that secondary not no, not meeting expectations either. I'd be concerned more on that than I am for the Giants. And what 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 do you think is going to happen? Because this was supposed to be the make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. He's playing well, but they're losing games. Do mm-hmm. you think they ultimately still commit to Daniel Jones after this season, regardless of not making the playoffs? Because it's not looking likely now. What, what what would you do or how would you evaluate Daniel Jones and this offense for the rest of the season? And I guess, what do you think ultimately happens? I'm more, I will say, I think the Daniel Jones conversation revolves far more around what ends up happening with head coach and GM by year's end. And we're obviously still a long ways out and they finished last year strong. But are Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge going to be the guys making those decisions on whether Daniel Jones is the guy or is it going to be someone else? It's kind of the bigger is what I would be is what this is more trending towards at this point starting 0 three the other highlight i'll have andrew thomas ranks fourth in pressure rate allowed on true pass sets hey. big improvement for the rookie former ot1 for pff's nfl draft uh draft board the previous year bears at browns only five pressures allowed this this year only five total pressures allowed for andrew thomas bears at browns this game was a disaster for chicago justin fields nine sacks Justin P- Jason Peters getting absolutely torched by Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett finished with the highest pass rush win rate of any player this past weekend. Obviously, how much are you of this are you putting on Justin Fields, and how much of this are you putting on Matt Nagy? This twenty six to six loss to Cleveland. I mean, we, we kind of said it after the preseason. I wouldn't started him. He didn't. He didn't look like he was going to survive behind that offensive line. He didn't look like he was playing fast enough in the preseason to. Basically, when you get to a team like the where your where your OTs are overmatched and you have to either game plan around it completely, which I don't, they didn't do a great job of that. Uh, I mean, that blame lies on Matt Nagy and not being able to adjust for the fact that your offense tackles were going to get torched, and, and then Justin Fields isn't helping them out by bringing pressure onto himself on top of that. And I was I kept saying they can't afford with that off the line to then create more pressure to then like hold onto the ball and bring more things on yourself to have he had a drop back in that game where he's 11 yards deep like he's way too deep on his drop just inviting pressure into his lap and hanging his tackles out to dry so those are things that he was doing that you cannot do and survive and it was about as bad as it was about as bad an offensive performance i've ever seen in the nfl it was just a comedy of errors I, i will say if there's anything encouraging field started to protect himself better in the second half he was at least getting rid of the ball i thought on concepts that he wasn't pulling the trigger on the first half like he had to see guys open completely in the first half to really let it rip by the second half rolled around he's like i'm tired of getting killed i'm just gonna sling it now it led to some ugly looking throws and some ugly plays but at least he was protecting himself better i thought so that's at least encouraging but i do think you you are risking throwing him out there in this situation right now you're risking basically changing his mental sort of how he goes about processing the game, making him into a guy who's going to be terrified of pressure for the rest of his career, which is something that you really cannot afford to do for a young quarterback. Under pressure on 52% of his dropbacks this past week. That's the fourth highest rate in the NFL in week three. Other side of the ball, OBJ is back. And Baker wasn't a disaster, Mike. Are you ready to get out of your idea that Bake, I mean, OBJ makes this offense worse? He looked good. They were connecting. I mean, he was their you know leading receiver. It looked good. I, I <laughs> it, was, it was Bears defense that I would hope 
he looks good against. I, I kind of assumed that going in. The more interesting takeaway to me for the Browns was Jeremiah Uskormoa flying all over the field in that game. Uh, the highest graded defender of anyone this week so far. Uh, obviously with Monday night still to go in 93.9 overall grade. That was, and it wasn't just his play in space. It was him actually beating blocks. He had a key third down stop where he actually shed Jason Peters pulling out to the edge, like three pass breakups in that game at Jeremiah Uskoromoa. That was, that was the guy we thought you were getting out of Notre Dame. That was that was honestly the guy they need on that Browns defense. Another thing I'll highlight there, Jeremiah Uskoromoa after this game, among all linebackers with 60 snaps played so far this season, he ranks first hmm. in PFF grade. Obviously, the sample size is small. We'll see small. how he holds up. But positive returns from Jeremiah Wusukormo to start the season. Browns are favored by seven in that game, win 26-6. to six. Chargers at Chiefs, one of the best games of the weekend. It was honestly sensational. Yeah, Chargers win this one 30-24 with kind of a, a disastrous end you know it was kind of a, a, a very not a disastrous end an interesting choice to mm -hmm. not wait on the ball kick the field goal from like the two yard line and like really secure this win but i know brand staley wanted to go after the touchdown but to get, to get it so early the touchdown to mike williams to put him up 30 24 did give mahomes an opportunity to push down the field they almost you know hold there and beat them 30 24 but what was your thought on that ending for brand staley yeah i mean i would have the analytics would say, kneel the ball twice, get it to whatever, three seconds, kick field goal. Mm -hmm. And yes, his reasoning afterwards was it was windy. They had already missed an extra point, I believe, and then obviously ended up missing that extra point. Um, didn't want to take that chance. And they went for it on fourth down when they had maybe like a 48 yard yeah. field goal too. That Which was sick, by the way. Well, it was P.I. <laughs> Uh, I, I, oh, I like the call, yeah, a lot. Yeah. To, to go for the juggler, to not just hope my kicker makes it and then give Patrick Mahomes you know, enough time to easily come back down the football field himself. So the bigger takeaway to me, that, that when it's windy like that, I can see just wanting to get a touchdown. And I honestly think having watched the Chiefs defensive line on that play, I think they might have just let him walk it in if they had handed it off. And so Herbert called his own number. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a run play or they were run blocking with a fade attached to it. Herbert threw the fade. That was touchdown. But I think Kansas City was going to just let him score mm -hmm. to get the ball back. Because if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you, exactly. Like that, it's that whole that uh, Eric and George always talk about decision-making-wise. If the defense wants you to do that, then that's probably not, not the right decision. Yeah. You know? like if the defense wants you to score right there, mm -hmm. then that's probably not the thing you want to do. You want to... Because as your Chiefs fan, everyone and their mother would say, just give me Patrick Mahomes the ball with whatever time is yeah. left. Don't put this on I mean, field goal. We saw that tandem. literally last night with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers yes. getting enough time. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't the same situation, but still, you leave even 30, 20 seconds on the clock, you're the best quarterbacks in the NFL can drive down there. Kansas City was favored by seven. It closed at seven Damn. in this game at home. Talk about, and I want to get to Justin Herbert, because I think Justin Herbert has been such a bright spot for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. So has Brandon Stanley. So is Asante Samuel Jr., by the way, coming up with another pick. But for the Chiefs, two losses back-to-back. -back. They're 1-2 and two on the season, 0-3 against the spread. And both of these ones have been late game collapses. You know, we obviously had the Clyde Edwards-Lair fumble. And then this one, Patrick Mahomes throws that pick on the drive that they could have gone up. Mm -hmm. And the second one, they are unable to come down and win that game after going down six. I, I'm still all in on the Kansas City Chiefs. They are obviously the best. I still, even with the Chargers winning this game, I think they're the mm -hmm. best team in the AFC. But at what point are we going to talk about 
this defense being literally the worst in the NFL. <laughs> this defense is 32nd in EPA per play allowed. Mm -hmm. And when Patrick Mahomes isn't perfect, that's the thing. Patrick Mahomes is like middle of the pack in PFF grade so far, middle of the pack in efficiency. And he's obviously better than that. But he's had to play in games where he's had to put up a ton of points. He's put more risks on the table. And when he's not perfect, when he's not top three in the NFL, and your defense is this shit, you're going to lose games. You're going to lose games, even close games like this. Yeah, and now they've played three playoff teams probably in the AFC. Yeah. You've played, or three at least strong playoff contenders between the Ravens, Browns, and Chargers now. Like you've played three very good teams. So that factors into it. Defenses look better when you play shit offenses. That's just fact of life but there is still concerns and we talked about it even going to last year there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with this defense there's a lot of holes that can be exploited and i think you're seeing that more and more like this this group of cornerbacks outside of like legeria sneed is not great the the wide receivers out after tyree kill are not great they were legitimate issues on this roster it, it is a top heavy roster and so when Frank Clark is out or Frank Clark's not playing with the Frank Clark you thought you were getting or guys aren't playing, you know, when your elite elite guys aren't completely dominating, I think you see that there are spots to be exploited on this Chiefs team. They're not the sort of juggernaut that rolled through the AFC a couple of years ago. I mean, I think the bigger thing for me is that there is no room for error for Patrick Mahomes because the supporting cast, specifically the defense side of the ball, is just not good enough. And if you go against a Chargers team, a Ravens team, or a Browns team, all three of which that can put up points with reckless abandon, especially with Herbert playing as well as he is now, if Mahomes isn't perfect and that defense is the worst in the NFL, you're going to lose a lot of games. You know, So far this year, they ranked 32nd in EPA per play allowed. They also ranked 29th in pressure rate. You know, That's with some injuries to Frank Clark, but like they just don't have enough horses on that side of the ball yeah. to be even average. And I think that's what they need to chase. If the defense can chase even average play, and Mahomes obviously continues to be Mahomes, I think you're going to see a turnaround. But to start this season, I think their losses have been and you know, just not being perfect. <laughs> not being perfect and going against a lot of really, really talented teams. As for Herbert, massive improvement. He ranks top 10 in clean pocket passing grade. Last year, he ranked 27th. So far this year, top 10 in clean pocket passing grade, high average depth of target, top five in PFF passing grade. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL to start this season. He's doing yeah. it in a very aggressive pace. Your reaction, I guess, to this start for Justin Herbert and you know, all this talk of regression in the offseason, I don't think he hasn't – he has not just not avoided – he has not just avoided regression. He's improved. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of improvement to his game. I think it's a huge shout-out to the coaching staff, but also obviously Justin Herbert leveraging the team he has. Yeah, so he was this good like weeks one and two. Like mm -hmm. Everyone, four touchdowns in this game, no picks. Obviously the best sort of statistical performance – and the best the offense has kind of hummed yet. But he was just him he himself was as good against Washington, against Dallas. Like he he was throw for throw just as good. This game, obviously, it's just on a much bigger stage in terms of who he's playing. And probably just a honestly, probably considering the opponent faced, uh, not even as impressive as what he looked like against Washington, or like because that, that Chiefs defense was giving him uh, a lot of open looks. It's just a bad defense. Moving to Bengals at Steelers. Steelers were favored by three in this game, and I, I was on record. Steelers are winning this game. Bengals aren't covering the number. Yeah. At home, I just didn't see it. You know, I didn't think that, you know, Zach Taylor, too conservative, all these things. And he still was conservative. 
They ran the ball a ton in this game. Only 22 dropbacks, I think, for Patrick, you know, for Joe Burrow. Um, but the Steelers team is so bad or was so bad in this game. I'm not going to say it is, but was so bad in week three, both offensively and defensively, that the Bengals didn't have to get aggressive to win this one. You know, they went 24-10 easily. Big Ben is one of the lowest graded quarterbacks in the NFL. I think only Trevor Lawrence is a lower grade. And then you have this defense, lowest pressure rate of any team in week three, can't hold up on the back end. Jamar Chase with two touchdowns in this one. This Steelers team put together one of the worst regular season performances I've seen from them in a long time. And the Bengals won handily because of that, even with the conservative approach from Zach Taylor. I just did not see this bad of a performance from Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's why ultimately the Bengals win 24-10. Yeah, my two biggest takeaways were... One, I'm not sure this says as much about Cincinnati as it does about Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Like, their offense is abysmal. It's just Big Ben is, we say we're worried about Matt Ryan. I'm not just worried about Big Ben. Like, I'm fairly certain about Big Ben that it's just not, nothing's going to change at this point. And it's part of it is physical, part of it's also mental. He doesn't want to get hit. He, he, the fourth and 10 in the red zone, where he just like throws a swing pass to a running back. Like he within with a all split Bengals second, defenders crashing exactly like with, with about a second and a half after he takes the ball like he just does not want to basically have any contact anymore whatsoever. He's playing terrified of that offensive line, and yeah, the offensive line's bad, but at some point you have to hang in there if you're going to operate this offense. And he's just unwilling to do that, so I, I don't foresee it getting better. The other thing, though, I do think the Bengals defense has turned a corner ever so slightly like it is not the top bottom five unit we saw the last two years and the biggest reason why their defensive tackle play is night and day from what we saw like they can actually plug the run the bj hill trade we've talked a lot about but josh tupelo has been excellent for them he has an 84.2 overall grade through three weeks obviously didn't play last season him and dj reader coming back this year have been huge for this defense i think that is the biggest thing is that Every other offense had whatever they want up the middle of the field against the Bengals last year. That has not been the case. Logan Wilson playing really well second week, second straight week with a pick for him. So the defense has turned things around in a big, big way. I, I still think there's offensively play calling, some things they could exploit better, some things they could still do better, some having a little bit stronger identity as well on that side will help. And they won't, like I still don't believe in their running game, but defensively I do think is actually a different defense than we've seen from Bengals in recent years I will say that how how much of that Mike is just the Steelers offensive line not being able to run block I mean Najee Harris has totaled 123 rushing yards this season 111 have come after contact yeah that's the second highest percentage in the NFL 90 percent of his rushing yards have come after contact so far this season it was so bad you know, 14 carries for 40 yards in this game, 2.9 yards per carry, that they ended up just throwing him the football, 19 targets. Najee Harris had 19 targets, 14 receptions for 102 yards. Incredible. Just consistently yeah. throwing him the football. Because they're trying to get him the football because he's talented mm -hmm. and he's breaking tackles, whatever. Like this was, you know, they just cannot run block up front. They can't create much on the ground. They, they run the ball at the lowest percentage in the NFL because of that. And I think this offense becomes one-dimensional. And then you combine that with having to have a conservative offense because Ben Roethlisberger is struggling to push the ball downfield. Then you have the injury to Deontay Johnson. I, there is not a lot to love about this Pittsburgh Steelers team right now. I think that is one of the bigger concerns I've seen. And I think you hit the nail on the head with your first takeaway. This says more about the Steelers than it does the Bengals. You know, the Bengals are still running a very conservative offense. They ran the ball on 65% of early downs. You know, they, they, the Steelers gave them this game 
on the road. I'm interested to see if Steelers can you know write the script, you know write the ship here. And I don't know how they do it because it's going to need to be a big improvement for Big Ben. I don't even know if that's physically possible yeah. for Big Ben as we uh, move Ooh. forward. And Jamar Chase, there's Penny Sewell update. Penny Sewell, two pressures this past week. Jamar Chase, two touchdowns. four catches, six five yards, two touchdowns. Mm. We're going to keep going back to that well. But I will say this. Joe Burrow had two deep ball completions, two go ball completions, all of 2020. Already has three to Jamar Chase this year. All went for touchdowns. Really? Man, Jamar Chase, off different. to a good start. Off to a good start. Uh, before we get to football team at Bills, week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To, to kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you do not want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly if sportsbook is not yet available in your state DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game that's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 rate required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Football team at Bills. Bills favored by 7.5, and, and I like the football team. I, lo- I thought they'd cover. I did, I, I did not think the football team would get blown out like this. No, they get blown out. Buffalo, 43-21. Josh Allen, after a slow start to the season, dominated against what is such an underwhelming Washington defense. No team in the NFL has allowed a score on a higher percentage of opposing drives than the Washington football team. They rank 28th in EPA per play allowed. Bottom five in pressure. Like, this has not been a good start for this Washington defense. That was supposed to be the strength that led them in you know to being even considered a, a Washington you know NFC East title or NFC East title comp- contender. Now Taylor Heineke is not playing well. This defense isn't playing well. We're running out of strengths to highlight for the football team. Meanwhile, Buffalo Bills back on track with an impressive performance from Josh Allen. Yeah, they have to be the most disappointing unit of any side of the ball in the NFL. It just has to be. They were. This was supposed to be either the best or the second best defense in the league. They were supposed to be the reason they won football games. They were they were supposed to grind out, you know, 16 to 13 sort of wins. And it hasn't been close to that. And they've just, everyone has had whatever they wanted. And the crazy thing is they're still actually getting after the passer. They have the fourth highest team pass rushing grade in the NFL right now. They, they pressured Josh Allen on four, 22 of his 46 dropbacks. That's, that's an elite rate. Like, that's what you want. Like, they, that, they did their job. It has been their linebackers. John Bostick's allowed on pace for to allow over a thousand yards in his coverage this season. The fact that they're paying Landy Collins seventeen million dollars against the cap this year to do zilch on the back end <laughs> to not have uh, had gotten his hand on a football all season long. Um, the the secondary is kind of the issue on that team right now. Um, I think you can turn around. Obviously, when you have that sort of defensive line, it's a good start. But man. Like I said, I don't think there's a single defense playing that I'm more disappointed in this year than Washington. With the Buffalo Bills dominating against Washington, Josh Allen, top five in PFF grade this past week, looked really good. Three big-time throws, just one turnover for the play. You know, I'm still 
of the opinion the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. But is there more parity to it than maybe previously thought? Bills looking good. Browns looking good. Chargers. Broncos are 3-0 and 3-0 against the spread. Uh, Raiders are 3-0 in that same division. I mean, I don't know. I think there, this is not as chalky of an AFC as maybe as I previously thought. Really? I, I mean, I thought it was pretty open. There was a lot of good teams in the AFC this year. I, I thought the quality at, near the top of the AFC was better than the NFC in terms of Browns, Bills, Chiefs. And then the Chargers, obviously Broncos coming up too, and the Ravens. The whole I mean, <laughs> AFC West, the whole AFC West looks very, very good right now. So I do think that the AFC is about is probably more wide open than the NFC at the moment. I mean, the AFC South has kind of just been the doormat to start the season, and if you're looking at the AFC divisions, meanwhile, all the other divisions have some bright spots this year. Yeah, Josh Allen though, people were worried about weeks one and two. Not if, no, just don't worry. He's completely fine. He looked great in this game. Very good. Top five in PFF grade in week three. Saints at Patriots. I was surprised by this one. Patriots were three-point favorites. I, you know, we just, the, the roller coaster that is Jameis Winston and this New Orleans Saints team swung in the right direction this week. Saints win 28-13. to 13. Mac Jones struggled quite a bit um, against the Saints defense. And honestly, Jameis did not make enough mistakes to lose this game. Yeah, I, I this is kind of the games you worry about when you have a rookie starter is that Sometimes things just go south. Like you'll just have an ugly game like this, three picks. Now some of them weren't his fault, uh, but I I thought the Saints and Dennis Allen had a fantastic game plan. Their blitz packages were exceptional. It's on 17 blitz dropbacks, Mac Jones went only eight of 16 for 80 yards. And if you think about to his time at Alabama, that was his mo: carved up the blitz, did that in his sleep. But in this one, he looked uncomfortable when the saints were bringing multiple guys and it wasn't just when they were blitzing it wasn't just five they were going six seven they were bringing house blitzes really trying to get it to mac jones because that, that patriots offensive line is pretty good but they when they did bring it they were getting home quickly so uh hats off to them this is kind of going to be the saints this year where it's like they're gonna be a team that probably wins more on their defense they're going to be a, a screen run game defensive sort of team which is hilarious because James Winston's been the opposite of that his entire basically NFL career. I also think they're doing a lot to kind of protect James Winston from himself in this one. Only 21 total attempts in this game. He did take three sacks, but they ran the football a ton. Ran the football in early downs at the highest rate in the NFL. 24 carries for Alvin Kamara, another six for Taysom Hill, two for Tony Jones. I mean, th this was run the football, run the football, take your shots. He had two TDs in this game. I think that's how you win football, though, with the Saints, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's going to be what they do. Uh, and you can't just lean on Jameis to throw 40 times exactly game. but then hopefully when they have to do it you get good Jameis and Jameis is capable of it or f at least far more capable of it than Taysom Hill so that's kind of going to be what they rely on throughout the season and, and they got the good defense to do it in my opinion still uh, I do think this is a playoff caliber uh, roster um, going forward just a 66.8 PFF passing grade for Mac Jones in this one. Your your overall thoughts on him now three weeks into the season? I think he's been probably the best rookie quarterback just in terms of performance-wise. Low bar. But, yeah, exactly. Not <laughs> not a lot of competition there for that. Um, I think he's closer to, like, performing at an NFL level, and there were some plays on his tape this past week where it was just fantastic, like tight pockets, Pockets that Justin Fields had himself and was basically just wrapped up in a ball. And Mac Jones is stepping up in and making the throw. 
uh, and trying to make completions. And I think there's a lot to like about his performance so far, but he is still a rookie. When you are the type of quarterback he is, where you have to be mastering, the, you know, basically you are not, you can't create, he's not creating much outside of structure. It is all within structure. You have to have the within structure. You have to have the offense mastered. You have to know where every outlet is at every point in time. And I think a lot of times he's going not just one to two to three to check down. It's more one to check down. Like he's quick to get to that check down to protect himself, which is good to see from a quarterback. But as he develops, you'll see more one and then work back to the other side of the field and hit the two stuff like that. And so I, I do think encouraging start, but this one was a little bit of a, a quicksand sort of game for him. It was just difficult with what the Saints were throwing at him. On to Colts at Titans. Before we get there, going to bring up Homefield Apparel, new partner to Tailgate. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big news Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 o'clock Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just dropped Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, USC. They continue to drop the big schools, the big names. I thought their West Virginia gear, Virginia gear was pretty awesome. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com that is promo code pff get ready for college football tailgate season colts to titans titans favored by five i liked indy in this one and i liked him even more if you know carson Wentz is gonna be able to play but i mean this deep this 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 offense i mean there is just not a lot not a lot going on for the colts right now carson Wentz did not play well defensively they're struggling this team is not meeting expectations similar to the Washington football team. And, you know, some people like them to win the division with Carson Wentz. They're underwhelming to say the least. Yeah. They're just, it's such a tight offense. Like it just looks so, there's no explosive element. It seems like to it. And the, that's fine. If you have the best offense line in the NFL, which is what they've had, you know, or one of the past couple of years, but the cruel irony is that's, the offense line has been decimated and is like the weakness of this team right now. Like with Quentin Nelson going down on this one, Eric Fisher coming back from his Achilles, uh, does not look like the Eric Fisher of old. Is I think he allowed seven pressures in this game. Braden Smith didn't play in this one, so you had Julian Davenport. Like he was under attack, 21 pressures, tw- pressure dropbacks and only 39 attempts, over 50% of his dropbacks against the Titans team that we've said, you know, struggles a little bit to rush the passer. Uh, but Harold Landry had 10 pressures in this game massive game from him like you're not going to win a lot of games when you're not generating explosive plays and your offense lines that bad it's what we've been saying about the giants all year long and that's kind of how the colts look now too yeah they rank bottom 10 in epa per play so far as an offense they also rank bottom 10 in scoring drive percentage and i think they're struggling to find an identity i think one of the more insane stats jonathan taylor running back for the indianapolis colts has 13 carries inside the red zone zero touchdowns Oof. Only back with 10 plus with zero TDs right now. That's you know struggling to put it in in the red zone as well. As for Tennessee, you know a lot of hate on Tennessee after Week One. Todd Downing caught a caught an earful from me. They've slowly bounced back and shown a lot more success. I mean, in Week Two, Ryan Tannehill was one of the highest graded quarterbacks, and in this game, did enough to win pretty handedly. I think um, your reaction to the Tennessee Titans weeks one through three. 42 percent of dropbacks this week, Austin play action love that that's my guy that's downing he heard he listens to the pod (laughs) at least he listens to the pod the asc south is just handed over to the titans right now yeah it's like please take this from us you got 0-3 jags 0-3 colts your closest competition right now is the one and two texans that is only close in record not close in actual strength the colts are still second best team in that division right now but 
like we just outlined I, th- with that offensive line they're just not going to put up points so the titans could go should they go like eight and nine take home this division if they really want absolutely <laughs> I, mean, no, I don't think they, will. they don't have to be all that good that, to win the afc south but what's your i guess your reaction to them overall are they a competitive i mean look how good this afc is look at the afc south i mean the tennessee titans aren't as good as you know some of the other you know even two or three of the teams in the mm-hmm. afc west right now if they get harold landry to play like he did this past week like i said 10 pressures uh if harold landry goes against julian davenport every week well he's a lot of most of them were against fisher um they're on the left tackle and if they get christian fulton playing well too one catch on six targets in this one for five yards yeah you can convince me that the titans can like we said we just talked about some of the competitors and the afc did not bring up the titans name you convinced me that they can compete though with that wide receiver duo for sure even though like aj brown didn't even like do shit again this week oh he got hurt he got hurt oh, yeah, early so. in that game um i mean the titans were out without a lot of players i mean they lost you know, julio jones AJ Brown, Bud Dupree. I mean, they were they they, yeah, they no, took some injuries in this game. Yeah. Uh, Arizona Cardinals at Jaguars. Jaguars were seven and a half point dogs and not couldn't even cover that number at home. They're zero and three and zero and three against the spread. I don't think a single team has been more underwhelming than the Jacksonville Jaguars on both sides of the ball. And I know we talked about you know one of the most disappointing starts. You know, we talk about Washington's defense not playing well, um, but this Jaguars team like is the only team that's zero three against the spread. It's the only team that's 0-3 and 0-3 against the spread. They have drastically fallen underneath ex- beneath expectations. They were favored against the Texans in week one. Yeah. Got blown out. Not blown out, but beat pretty badly by Tyra Taylor and the Houston Texans. Trevor Lawrence, another low-performing game. He's one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Uh, where's 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 the worst part of this team? Who? What's the worst part of the Jags right now? I mean... You got a lot of competition. That's the hardest the question part. maybe in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I will say this about Trevor Lawrence, though. He, he has had the most high-end plays of any of the rookies and also the most low-end plays of any of the rookies. It, he, he's like, he looks like Andrew Luck's rookie year, but just on like steroids. Like it, it, Andrew Luck's rookie year, if you think back, he was just all up and down, roller, like set up awesome, awesome plays, but then had through a ton of turnover where they plays that rookie season. That's kind of what Trevor Lawrence looks like. He like he looks comfortable. He's not super panicky. Like when he makes bad decisions with the football, you're kind of just like, why, why do you do that? With guy we didn't see at Clemson. I think it's just again com- comes down to comfort, speed of the game, all those sort of things. But then that corner route touchdown is one of the best throws of the weekend. Oh yeah, it that was, was gorgeous. Sweet. It's just so you see it with them, but it's still nothing seems. It's kind of just like the whole Jaguars both sides of the ball nothing seems to be going right there were i mean the fumble where his running back just like takes it out of his hand like what is what was that <laughs> I, I will say i'd rather have what you see what you've seen from trevor lawrence so far than maybe even you know you said mac jones has been the most impressive but you haven't seen the ball he's you know, performed the, the best yeah, yeah he's performed the best but, but you haven't seen the same high-end plays from mac jones yeah. that you've seen from trevor lawrence and you know you bring up Andrew Locke. I think the broadcast mentioned that the only quarterbacks to have two plus picks and now each of their first three starts, I think, was the last one to do it was Peyton Manning. And I think it's. Uh, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence is the next coming of Peyton Manning. That's what it sounded like you were saying. Yeah. Uh, well, I. But I think your analysis of Lawrence's start is probably the best, in that it's high. There's a lot of high and there's a lot of low. He's not performing consistently average or below average, which I think would be more worrisome. He's pressing in some situations. Yeah throwing bad interceptions, but also has some really impressive throws on tape. And if they can yeah. figure it out, they can figure out how to remove some of that stuff and this offense can perform better and the supporting mm-hmm. cast can improve, then maybe Trevor Lawrence bounces back. But um, so far this season... Having gone through... So I got an article coming out today about all the quarterbacks. And having gone through all his throws, I will say he needs 
a guy like he had when he had T. Higgins at like he needs a number one. I, I think it was just just the way Trevor Lawrence plays the game. He needs a true sort of number one type of wide receiver on the outside. I, I think next year's draft, you could see them prioritize someone like a Garrett Wilson if if and when they do select because they need or I don't know. I haven't looked at a free agency, but they, they need a guy like that in that offense. They need help everywhere, oh, yeah. offensively and defensively. Well, they got Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold. Is that the is that the needle mover? That's the needle mover. Trevor Lawrence is about to fucking come back. <laughs> um, let's let's focus more on the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray through three weeks ranks eighth in PFF passing grade so far this year. He's looked mightily impressive. So is this Cardinals defense. This Cardinals defense kind of stepping up. I know you wanted to highlight Zayvon Collins. Yeah. I also wanted to highlight the fact that, you know how Steve Kime, there was that whole thing about Saving Collins is our starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't even been the starter. <laughs> Jordan Hicks has been the starter. Maybe they made that change after that whole thing came out. I that, don't know. That was that that was hilarious to me in and of itself that we haven't really talked about yet. But Zayvon does look good. Now, again, he's not even starting. He's there uh, in their base packages. Um, but he's or is he in the base packages. I'm actually not certain off that. Don't quote me on that. But he's only playing like something like twenty something snaps a game, and he's looked very good coming downhill in the run game, like the physicality is there for him so that is encouraging to see compared to kind of what their linebacker play was last year when isaiah simmons could barely see the field how collins looked this year and how simmons have both looked uh, encouraging for cardinal fans, even if the run defense is still a little like uh, scary at times byron murphy's also played well had a oh, yeah. pick in this one pick it was kind of gifted to him off Two that picks. flea flicker but uh the other thing, top five in the EPA per play allowed for the Arizona Cardinals so far this year on defense. I think that's exceeding expectations by every by every part of that. Dolphins at Raiders. Raiders favored by four. This is one of my favorite bets. They could not cover the number. I thought, I mean, the well, Raiders. Yeah, the, the, the P.I. was to get them into, into whatever scoring range at the end. Like they, they should have covered the free realistic yeah. that number, but they shot themselves in the foot a few times. Regardless, Raiders win this one in overtime 31-28. Derek Carr continues to look really impressive. He's the only quarterback with over 300 passing yards in each of his first three starts. That, I think, the other the the coolest stat or the best stat that is evident of what Gruden is doing, what Carr is doing, is no quarterback has thrown more passes down the football field, 20 plus yards, than Derek Carr. They are actually chasing the explosive play with this offense. Whether it's Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, Henry Ruggs, they're actually creating separation deep, and Derek Carr is firing it down the field. You do that and throw the ball at the highest rate of any team on early downs, you're going to have one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL with Derek Carr under center. As I've said before, Derek Carr, a top 10 quarterback when he's you know playing at his best. And this defense hasn't been horrendous. Average defense, stellar explosive offense is a winning formula for the Raiders. So much that I think you have to consider them legit playoff competitors, despite being completely faded by the market in the offseason. Their win total was at 6.5. They're already 3-0, and and they were like plus 400 to make the playoffs. Yeah. They are probably the most impressive team to start this season. They're at least the most exciting team. I mean, they have been hashtag fun to watch. Like This has been, and I thought I'd, I cannot believe that I'm saying that about a Derek Carr-led offense because if you think back to the 2017 through 20, basically 19 versions of Derek Carr, it, it was difficult to watch at times like he he was just not you know how the guy who talked about Kirk Cousins being on the not fun to watch list mm -hmm. a lot of those same things applied to Derek Carr um but man like this offense I, they are very much for real because they have the talent Henry Ruggs look very good in this game and they're willing to attack you on every single down so love that at the same time 
Miami's offense is still not super hashtag fun to watch. Like Jalen Waddle getting 13 targets, 12 catches, and only two of them going for first downs because they're just one of them for a safety. What was that? Yeah, peppering him just underneath nothing targets that are going nowhere instead of using that, you know, 4 2 speed down the football field. And now you have a backup quarterback, whatever. But I only, I will say at this point, I think it's only a matter of time before they trade for Deshaun Watson. Highest average depth of target of Derek Carr's career was 8.5. This year, so to start 9.6 through three games, they're chasing the explosive play. And what I feel makes them a contender is not so much this defense playing average. I think they could continue to do that. Max Crosby ranks top five in pass rush win rate on true pass sets. Yannick Ngakwe right there at six. And on the back end, Casey Hayward, he's only allowed one reception all season long. Like He has played really well on the back end. Um, what's sustainable about it is how you know the legit structural changes they've made to their decision-making offensively is sustainable. All they have to do is keep doing it. Keep calling plays on early downs. No passes on early downs. Keep throwing the ball downfield. That's what's going to win you football games when you're going against some of the best offenses in the NFL. And I think that's something that's easy to sustain. I think this Raiders team was legit. Um, and they're right now, what, first place in the AFC West? That is impressive for Las Vegas and Derek Carr. Well, tied with. Tied with the Broncos. The team we're going to talk about now. I'm more impressed with the Raiders than I have been with the Broncos, though. Can I say oh, that? Oh, okay, say it. I'll say it. I say it. The Raiders have played stiff, stiffer competition. Okay. They've played legit competition. I mean, on the Steelers, we just made fun of the Steelers being horrendous. But Ravens, Steelers, and then this past week, the Dolphins. I know it was a Jacoby Brissett-led Dolphins team, but still, this has been a harder start while the Broncos, what? The Jets to, st to start. They, they have not played. I'm, I'm, I'm missing who they've played to start the season. But they have not played high-end competition. For the Raiders round. could also be one and two. Giants, Jags, and Jets. They've won two games in OT. I'm just saying. Oh, that's the, the Broncos have been the Giants, good. Jets, and Jags. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arguably three of the worst teams in the NFL. They've handled all three. They, I will say, though, they've handled all three. Well, yeah, they're 3-0 and and 3-0 and against the spread. They have handled yeah. all three. I'm still more impressed with the Raiders have. I think the Raiders no, are a better team than the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I think you're splitting hairs with one's blowing out bad teams. One is eking out wins against good teams. There's merits to each. I'll say both have been very impressive. Both look like playoff teams and, like I mentioned, possible Super Bowl. All right, let's teams. get to this Jets-Broncos game. Broncos were favored by 10.5. They ended up blowing out Robert Sala, Zach Wilson, and the New York Jets 26-0. to zero. The Denver Broncos have the second most efficient defense in the NFL through three weeks. Yes, against bad competition, but you got to check that box. It has been an impressive start. I know I was just bagging on them. An impressive start for Denver. Yeah, Vic Fangio was just confusing Zach Wilson. He, he was not seeing I mean, it, so they ran so many uh hybrid sort of coverages where it's like two cover two on one side cover four on the other where we call that cover six here at pff but like so many of those combo coverages that i don't think zach wilson was completely comfortable in the pocket you saw him be late to a number of things and obviously they didn't score a point um because this bronco secondary is just legit it, it is very very good and they have the defensive line to get pressure with only four. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be ugly for Zach Wilson this year, especially, uh, you know, as long as Mekhi Becton is out um, because that, that's not a good offensive line at this point. Like, they, they've done some things to improve it. My God, that was, that was a tough one. I mean, this offensive line is playing losing football. No team has been, no quarterback has been under pressure on a higher percentage of his dropbacks than Zach Wilson. And so far this year, Jets running backs are averaging 1.1 yards before first contact per carry, bottom 10 in the NFL. It has been 
terrible. The offensive line has been terrible, and you know, no quarterback in the NFL has more out of rhythm dropbacks than Zach Wilson. A lot of that is pressure, but a lot of that is the ghost you brought up. You know, the ghost you brought up last week. He's seeing ghosts. He's bailing out of some clean pockets because it's such a stressful situation that he's in. He has to do so much on his own. Another something I wanted to touch on with the Jets before we move forward. Denzel Mims, second week in a row is a healthy scratch in New York. Are we going to be marking bust watch for Mims here soon? Like that former second round pick out of Baylor, a guy that improved his stock a ton at the senior bowl, but maybe that was fool's gold. Your thoughts on Mims right now? Yeah, it's this the worst thing is, is I was going to say, it's not like the guys in front of him are playing exceptionally well either. So that's the scary part if you're a Jets fan. The other side of the ball, though, I do want to talk about. We said touching the Broncos a little bit, them being very good. Teddy Bridgewater is over two year two yards. His average depth target is over two yards higher than his career average. He looks different, shall we say? Yeah, that we've aggressive ever seen Teddy. him Aggr- more aggressive than we've seen him in years past, which is what that offense needs. And not even having Jerry Judy the past couple weeks, like when he comes back, and this offense is at full strength. You're buying it. Drew Locke, Drew Locke. The the good parts about Drew Locke are rubbing off on Teddy Bridgewater. Hopefully some of the good parts about Bridgewater are rubbing off on Locke too. But my gosh, Teddy looking different. Looking different. Seahawks at Vikings. Vikings favored by, or no, one and a half point dogs at home against Seattle. And they end up winning 30-17. Kirk Cousins is the highest graded quarterback in the NFL on, from a clean pocket so far this year. Did he look good? He looks phenomenal. <laughs> Justin Jefferson continues to play well. I mean, he continued to find he is, and when you look up, you think about grading well from a clean pocket. One of the better stats is average depth of target. How often are you like taking more from those because you can't your average depth of target on pressure dropbacks is always gonna be a little bit lower because you're not able to be as aggressive mm-hmm. downfield. From a clean pocket, he is pushing the ball downfield with great consistency. Thielen Jefferson leading the way. He is looking the part for Minnesota so much that I think this Vikings team is going to be more competitive than people think and should not have been one and a half point dogs at home. Yeah. I mean, they have to be kicking themselves because this team, they could be three and oh, like the week one Bengals lost in overtime week two field goal away from going, uh, from winning that game against Arizona. And like, they they could easily be three and zero, and if they were, we would be talking about Kirk Cousins a lot more because, like I said, he's played exceptionally yeah. well uh, of late. So, and I do think flip side of the ball, Seahawks. We said it before. Say it again. Secondary is an issue. You have your cornerback group allowing over two hundred yards combined on the day. That's that's not good. That's losing football. No. <laughs> you talk about offensive lines playing losing football. Your secondary is giving up that many that much yards. That is losing football. Football for Seattle. Trey Flowers allowed all seven targets. What about offense though? Yards. I mean, they should be able to go toe to toe against this Vikings defense. What happened? Yeah, I, I, that's seemingly been though Russell Wilson's mo is the kind of when the big plays aren't there, it just kind of dries up a lot too off more often than not. But I uh, I'm not too worried about it like long term but I, I don't think it's enough to overcome what they have defensively on to on to Bucks at Rams Rams one and a half point dogs and I was all in on Tampa I was all in on Tampa yeah. but this Rams team 
is proving me wrong. I think I was fading the Rams compared to the market. I wasn't 100% convinced that it would all come together this quickly um, with Matthew Stafford. Offensively, I was that was my biggest concern. Defensively, it's a very top-heavy defense. They have a lot of stars, but if one of those guys gets banged up, they're going to struggle. Neither has come true. I've you know fallen flat on my face with those predictions. Matthew Stafford leads what is a top three offense in EPA per play, and Aaron Donald leads a defense that's top three in EPA per play allowed. Like this team is fit to be legit Super Bowl competitive, and they proved that against the reigning Super Bowl champs, beating them 34-24. Yeah, I just don't I don't get how Tampa Bay's run game is so bad. It's comically awful to the point where I, I think they realize it themselves. They're they they don't even run that much anymore because it's just so bad when they have a, one of the best offense lines in the NFL. Like that is a very good offense line and they're not even, I mean, it's not a value add whatsoever for them. There's no games where it's like, Oh yeah, we can rely on the ground game being there. It's just, no, it's pretty brutal. Uh, they have in this one, something like 40 total rushing yards is brutal. Um, but then on the other side of the ball, Devin white is a lot. Look, was a liability in this game. As much as everyone wanted to crown him after he made some plays down the stretch, his awareness is still an issue. The play where he takes Carlton Davis off of his man and man coverage on a crossing route, I think it was Deshaun Jackson. Just crossing route to not to re- literally run into your own teammate. I, there's multiple plays in this one that I uh, I'm, I'm worried about Devin Watt. I, I think he was prematurely called the next big thing when he just has not been 50.0 coverage grade so far this season. I mean, that's been part of the course for Devin White his entire career, though. I mean, it's a tough position to grade well in coverage with how often he's given that responsibility, but still has given up a ton of yards every year. Last year, no linebacker in the NFL gave up more yards in coverage than Devin White, yeah. as good as he is. That um, continues to be the case. Um, as for, can you talk more about Los Angeles and your thoughts on this offense and, and, and where you're placing them in the NFC? How good is this Rams team? I mean, I think they're capable of beating anyone any given week. Like I said about... The guys they have defensively, you have guys that are so good in Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey that they don't get taken admit. Like you can rely on every single game they show up. You know, it's not they will impact whatever you ask them to do. As long as they will healthy. win those matchups. Yeah. You know, they will win those matchups. The only thing I worried about the preseason was you're so reliant on those two that again, one of them goes down. As long as they're healthy, and one of them goes down, all of a sudden you are not you know, getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. But as long as they are, you got the best defensive lineman in the NFL and you got the best cornerback in the NFL. That's a nice combo. The other thing that, you know, part of my preseason narrative or preseason predictions, I thought there was going to be maybe be a bigger drop-off going from Brandon Staley to the next defensive coordinator. That has not been the case either. Mm -hmm. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald proving that wrong. I mean, they have been lights out on defense, holding, even holding, you know, Tom Brady and the Bucs to just 24 points, I think was impressive in this one. Last game to review, and then we'll do a short preview of Eagles-Cowboys and look at some of the segments we have on our Monday episode here. Packers at 49ers. What an incredible game. What an incredible game. It was really, really hashtag fun to watch. Aaron Rodgers is a monster. An absolute monster. What he did on those last two throws to put them in a position to kick that game-winning field goal was stellar. That ball over the top of Fred Warner to Devontae Adams. You know, I, I saw someone tweet out, you know, uh, like, oh, fuck it. Devontae Adams is up there somewhere. No, bro, that was on yeah. a rope yeah. right over Fred Warner's head. He knew he, In the post-game interview, he was like, yeah, I knew how to get it right over Fred's head, and I'll get it right in the bucket. And, like, to have that power or command over your accuracy is stellar and that's shown up all season long i don't think i think some people were calling well, it for didn't Aaron. show up week one but it has yeah, shown yeah, up yeah, since yeah, then yeah 
But uh, I, I will say, you know, some people were calling for Aaron Rodgers' retirement after week one. He, he is not gone. He is not gone. If anything, he's back on that MVP campaign. It was the most impressive I've seen from him in, in a minute because the offensive line was getting demolished. Like he was, he had to get the ball out very quickly if he wanted to complete anything. And the thing that I couldn't believe from the 49er side of things is how, how do you let Devontae Adams beat you routinely? 56% target rate. He was targeted on 56% of his routes. That is the over, highest I've ever seen. And I think he had over half the receiving yards. Too. Like, I don't know how you let that be the case. You know, you know, you know where that offense flows through and, and you know, you're getting pressure up front. So the one guy who can win quickly regularly, if you are in man coverage is Devontae Adams. So don't let, don't let him beat you. The other guys I do not trust to you could probably win those matchups, even though you're decimating your secondary and you still let Devontae Adams beat you. That was tough to see as 49ers fan. And then Jimmy Garoppolo throwing it backwards. What was that? Oh, I don't know what that was. That was, that was, that had a lot of people tweeting out Trey Lance. Trey Lance was trending shortly after that throw because of that disaster. The other thing I'll mention that throw the, 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 the cool thing, not the cool thing, but you know, Aaron Rodgers quickest time to throw over any quarterback this week. Had to do it because the offensive line was batter. They were starting what? Yosh Ninman? Yosh. Yosh. Yosh at left tackle. Still only allowed pressure on 17 or 18% of dropbacks, six of 34, because they were getting the ball out so quickly. That's adjusting. It, yeah. That's adjusting to what was an obvious weakness. Meanwhile, you had Justin Fields and Chicago Bears literally battling against one of the better defensive lines. I, I, I still think there could have been some more adjustments from Nagy to protect Justin Fields. It was the adjustment was Aaron Rodgers, though, was the thing. Yeah. Rodgers was just getting the ball out. He was knew he was going to get killed if not. And you watch some of his pocket movements where it's like Nick Bosa wins on an inside move, but then Rodgers is drifting off to his left knowing that. And you saw that when that happened to Justin Fields in the Bears game, when he saw a DN collapse, winning on an inside move, Fields just late to recognize. Like That's the difference between the high-end guys in the NFL and rookies and why the rookies are shit one in 10 against the spread so far this season right or then the only one was because two rookies face off against each other do you feel that the san francisco 49ers are going to get more and more interested specifically shanahan in putting in trey lance i doubt it i would say i doubt it i think you have those packages um short yardage goal line but i don't think the keys are turned over and again it comes back to did did you did Lance look like the guy you want to turn the keys over to in the preseason? He didn't look that good, you know. Uh, as much as you would love for him to come in and look great, it's just that's not always going to be the case. And Jimmy G, for as dumb as that one play was, I don't think he was like they're still two and one. He's still not been poor at the quarterback mm -hmm. position this year. Quick preview of Eagles at Cowboys. Cowboys favored by four. I know we previewed it on the Thursday episode. I still like Cowboys. I like them favored by four. I need a big week from Amari Cooper in fantasy football, if anyone freaking cares. I Not need like me. 30 points. 30 points from Amari Cooper tonight, if possible. Um, what, where's your prediction for this one? What did I say last week? I mean, I think the Cowboys handily. I think they got the O-line to match the one Eagle strength to their D-line, so... Only two offensive linemen in the NFL right now without a pressure allowed on true pass sets. And no Quentin Nelson and Connor Williams. Connor Williams playing well. For the Dallas Cowboys should no be. No Jordan Mylata right in that one. So it'll be, which actually Andre Dillard looked in preseason. So I'm excited to see how he looks. Um, but I don't think it's going to be that big a deal for them. But with how well Mylata was playing, that could still be an issue.
All right, last few segments here. Fun to watch, fun to read. Cake your pants, rookie of the week. Before we get to that, Western and Southern Tailgate is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solution helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Fun to read, <laughs> brought to you by the CEO and founder of PFF. This was incredible. We read this on the way back from Chicago. Laugh out loud, Neil Hornsby, PFF underscore Neil. For reasons that completely escaped me, the Sunday deadlift session with my son involved Alex dancing around like a demented fool, shouting, come on, Neil, let's get handsome. I, my, here's my take, Neil. Here's my take. I love that, having no, knowing Alex, it's funny. I just feel like no one else gets it. It's like an inside joke blasted to everyone. I was going to say, Neil is the CEO of a very prominent media company now, shall we say, mm -hmm. in the football space. And he tweets like uh, your uncle on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, like he's posted he's pictures of fired for this. Shirtless. No, Neil, we love you. Like I, They entertain me. I'm very entertained by it. I mean, he's a must but follow I, I on don't, Twitter. But I don't think anyone on the outside looking in is like, what the hell is going on there? Like I said, it's like looking at someone's uncle and that you don't know and seeing peering yeah, into their life. And that's their, the best comp I've ever heard. Yeah. So it's incredible. It's incredible. I do think you know, PFF underscore Neil, a must follow. You'll get to know his family very quickly, mm -hmm. very quickly. His football takes are also good too. We need to see more of those, Neil. Fun to watch, watch. I had a lot of submissions for this, Mike. Had a lot of submissions for this. Um, the Rams broadcast, someone sent us a D, I was watching it. They called the Rams route running fun to watch, which mm -hmm. I thought was incredible. Yeah, uh, of other that route from Cooper Cup was a fun to watch route, the, uh, <laughs> the fake whip. Yeah. So there was a lot of a lot of submissions this week, but I think this one takes the cake coming from our very own Colin Cowherd. This is incredible. Gotta admit, Taylor Heineke is a gamer. I think that's another one too. Calling someone a gamer. Mm -hmm. Taylor Heineke is a gamer, period. Fun to watch, period. Hashtag WFT. Talk about tweeting like your uncle. What is that? I I, I love that it starts off with gotta admit, as if you have to. I, you have to admit it. Get it off your chest. Exactly. As if it was something that was so <laughs> so buried deep inside him that had to come out. That he had to say to everyone that this like bland non-take of being fun to watch. Just It's just incredible. I so. mean, and how fun to watch was Heineke's 40.3 PFF passing grade, the lowest of any player this week. <laughs> how fun to watch was that? Not Adam that the list. That is awful. Okay, can we get an update? This is my favorite. What else is fun to watch this season? Oh, we've had a ton. We've yeah. got Tyler Huntley, Jordan Love's high-end plays, the Georgia punt team, the Minnesota running game, those college ones, Wandale Robinson, Rayshon Slater, Jalen Hurts, Dalen Jones, Jones confidence specifically, Tank Bigsby, Justin Fields, that was via Joe Burrow who said that, Love and that. Max Crosby, and now Taylor Heineke. Can we add Rams route running to that? I think that's a good piece. Rams too. route running. It was running a broadcast. It was a broadcast. And then uh, the not fun is just Kirk Cousins, who, Kirk Cousins. who, Who's who was out? kind of fun to watch last week. <laughs> Who's bowling out? All right, the cake your pants segment. This one, how was this one not Gus Johnson's call? Of no. 109-yard kick return. That was, inc I mean, I, I, the play was awesome. Jamal Agnew returns out 109 yards for the Jags. It was great. But the call was phenomenal. I, Gus Johnson should broadcast every game. I don't know how he can do it, but he should do it. It was, but there was, I've for a non-Packer game ending, 
I've never, I don't think I've ever like screamed the way I did at the Justin Tucker field goal. I was like, holy shit. Like that was the most improbable, a 66 to break the field goal record by two yards, have it hit the crossbar, bounce up in the air and that like second of where's it going? Like the, the drama involved in that moment was an all-timer. Really was. That really, like that one's, and for that to be a second 60 yarder to beat the Lions. So that beat the Lions, second most improbable finish in the last decade. That was, that was the, the pants caker. Rookie of the week, Jeremiah Owusu Koromo. He already said he had one of the highest, what, 93 plus PFF grade this past week. Looked mm-hmm. awesome. Also, is the highest graded linebacker in the NFL among linebackers with at least 60 snaps played so far this year. Blackout, we already brought this up, but Justin Fields. I mean, I don't want him to ever turn that tape on again. I would, dude, I would start Nick Foles next week. Like, that's, like I said, that's not. Don't put that on a graphic. That doesn't Don't help, put that on a graphic. That doesn't help him. What what he went out there and did is not helping. If him. anything, it hurt him. It's exactly it, like calling those reps is a joke. Those aren't reps. That's 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 watching Jason him. Peters get smoked yeah. like a brisket on the left side and getting unnecessarily body bagged entire well, game. And it's again, he's not he's developing habits that aren't helping himself play better football. He just needs to. There's no shame in saying like he needs to speed up and get faster. And until he does that, I wouldn't like you don't want him to speed up in a manner that's detrimental to his development. So, yeah, that was that was about as bad as it gets. All right. Last but not least, the Chicago tailgate review, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, the game sick Mm -hmm. blowout win for your fighting Irish. The tailgate, I thought, was solid. So the bad thing about Soldier Field is it's such a nightmare logistically to get to basically walk or maneuver anywhere. There's no bars anywhere near Soldier Field. I had to, to bike to. like 20 miles to find a bar. Yeah, um, tailgates are a tad disjointed, but they were. It was a lot of fun. I will say the atmosphere of Wisconsin and Notre Dame showing out like that was, and having the tailgates kind of be intermixed was something that you rarely. It doesn't exist if you just go to a school. Uh, so that was fun to see uh soldier field itself abject disaster i hate that's the worst football stadium in the nfl right now i don't think it's close they the biggest- ran out of they ran out of miller lights at the concession stand at halftime no we went to go get at halftime and they had no more left in the concession right out next of to us. miller lights i was appalled my brother was appalled too it was a bad all-around scene so that that drops the rating what down. was your biggest highlight Ooh, that's a good one I mean, obviously, Notre Dame winning the game was a pretty big highlight. Yeah. That was dope. I think the biggest uh, highlight for me was when you sent me that picture of your brother holding the bag of pee. Oh, the bag of pee was pretty fun. I was need pretty Quinn to put that on the next episode. I know we're live right now. But that picture, he's like got this glazed smile on his face, and he's holding it like a fucking trophy bag. My mom loved that when we texted her. She was a big fan of that. But uh, <laughs> I, the tailgates were fun. I mean, like walking around the stadium and seeing Big Noon Kick, seeing the Barstool Road show. We actually didn't even get to see the uh, ESPN. I think it was a little bit far, further out, but just seeing the whole atmosphere. You waved to Brady from like a yard, a hundred yards out. He didn't wave back. He didn't wave back. I think the the one comment I'll make on the tailgate and the tailgate score we have here, the grade eighty point two, just mm-hmm. above eighty. I think the biggest reason it's going above eighty for me is you compare it to school tailgates that we've been to. This is an adult. Notre Dame is an adult led tailgate. 
This is led by late 30s, early 40s, Notre Dame diehards. And when you have that, comes with a little Quality. bit more money. We had I had one of the best donuts I've ever had in my fucking life. I don't even know how you bring that to a tailgate. Mm -hmm. It felt homemade. People were had Bloody Mary stations Bars. with actual bacon. They brought yeah. in strips of bacon. One person was cooking a homemade pizza on a stove. Another tailgate had a bouquet of flowers. Like I, This was a adult tailgate. When you compare it to Penn State, people are like scraping the bottom of the barrel for a rolling rock that's like <laughs> it's not even cold. Like that, yeah. obviously the energy is different. People are playing more drinking games and stuff. But in terms of like chef's kiss on the food, the alcohol that was available. I mean, people were shotgunning high noons. This yeah. was a upper class tailgate. And I think we're going to see much of the same in South Bend against Cincinnati. Yeah, uh, but I would say the Soldier Field running on Miller Lite drags it down. The fact that still a small stadium, the atmosphere in the stadium was a little tamer being split. So 80.2, still solid. 80.2. I think we're going to have a pretty solid one in South Bend. It's going to be higher in South Bend. I think Bend. South Bend will be higher. And we continue before we got Baton Rouge, Tuscaloosa, Morgantown, Knoxville. A lot of tailgates left here on the tailgate tour. Until next time, big shout out to producer Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, and Max Chadwick. This is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.